So sometimes there's a moment you have to decide. You either are going to turn left or you're going to turn right. You're going to move across the country and take this new job or not. You're going to attend this college or this college, right? You're going to take the shot or not. You're going to jump in the water or not. There comes a moment when to not decide is to decide. And there's aspects of which this is true in our relationship with God, and this all comes into relatively sharp contrast in a section in the book of Joshua that we look at today. So last week we began a series called Reset. It's based on the book of Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible, written uh, 3,500 years ago. The book begins with Moses dying and Joshua being put in charge, which means he has particularly big shoes to fill. Moses has been the man for 40 years through everything that has happened since the Jews left Egypt in slavery. And now Joshua is the new, uh, the new guy who has to make all these calls. And additionally, uh, Joshua is appointed to leadership when they have come right back to a critical moment. They are back on the east bank of the Jordan River. And this is where their parents had whiffed. Their parents had been brought here and had been told by God that they were to go into the promised land, that he was giving them the promised land, that it was theirs to take. And they chose, because of the report of the majority of the spies, they chose not to do it. And so consequently, they spent 40 years wandering in the desert until all of the adults that had made that decision had died, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And now they're back. Moses has passed away. Joshua inherits the troops. They're just about at the east bank of the Jordan River. And they're being called again. It's actually a whole new group of people, same families, but a different generation. And uh, it's game time. Uh, The descendants of Abraham and Sarah, the Jews, the, the people of God are being told to take the land of God. They're, giving, they're being given a second chance, or as we said, they get a reset, they get a do-over, they get a take-two. And uh, last week I noted that these kinds of opportunities, second chances, uh, are wonderful, but they're relatively rare, and that many people, when given a second chance, make the same mistakes again. I then ended by suggesting that COVID is providing us with a second chance of sorts. So today's passage, which comes from the third chapter of Joshua, which was read for you already, uh, describes the events that, uh, that bring us to this do or not do. So the two spies that Joshua had sent out, he's the new Moses, and so he's doing a lot of the same things Moses had done. The two spies that Joshua sends out, have just come back. They, uh, they were given an opportunity to escape. They got the, they got the report. Rahab, uh, the prostitute, has helped them escape. They're back, and they're full of good news. So Joshua chapter 2 reads, The spies' hearts were bursting with joy as they said, The Lord has handed over the entire land to us. So when Joshua hears this, he immediately dispatches runners to go throughout this vast camp. There's up to 2 million Jews that are, that are there, runners throughout the camp to tell everybody that the next morning at daybreak, they were going to break camp and all move a couple more miles and come right to the bank, the east bank of the Jordan River. And so that's what happens, and that's 
when things get a bit dicey. As they approach the Jordan River, everyone suddenly gets a chance to look and to be reminded what the Jordan River at flood stage looks like. So the Jordan River is, um, is uh, not a large river, but it's a barrier. And, and it's a barrier geographically, but it's also a barrier metaphorically. And so there's lots of songs that will talk about the Jordan River for various reasons. The, the Jordan River is, is a, it's a metaphor to the point of being a, a, a cliche. There's, uh, there's poetry about it. There's, there was a TV program a while ago called Crossing Jordan. It had nothing to do with any of this from what I can tell. But anyway, um, the Jordan River was a barrier. <clears throat> and so geographically, you have to understand there are three real challenges that the Jews are facing here. First of all, although the Jordan River is not a big river, uh, uh, the Jews can't swim. <laughs> so they've just spent, think about it. They just spent the last 40 years in the desert, I mean, there's no YMCA swim classes for them to take when they're little. So nobody, everybody that had been uh, an adult has passed away. Nobody knows how to swim. And there's two million of them anyway. Uh, Young kids, infants, old people, cattle. There's all kinds of things to get across this land. So none of them can swim. Secondly, a river doesn't have to be that wide if you can't swim. But the Jordan River was too wide for them to jump across. It was 100 feet at Gilgal where they were going to cross. And it is a particularly um, swiftly flowing river. So uh, the Jordan River has a big vertical drop. It's not that long. It's not, you know, not like the Mississippi or the Nile, but it has a particularly big vertical drop. So I read 125 feet per mile. Now I spent some time, I should say, I wasted some time Uh, on Google trying to figure out the average vertical drop of a river. So I'm reading hydrology reports, which I have no business reading, and I could not figure it out, but I have been told uh, by others that that it is a particularly, um, it's got a big vertical drop. And I've been there a couple times, and when I went uh, the last time to Israel, I went to the Jordan River in particular to try and imagine what it would be like to step into it if I couldn't swim. And first of all, the water is not very clear. I mean, you cannot see at all. I shouldn't say it's not very clear. It's not clear. You cannot see an inch down. So you don't know whether it's an inch deep or it's 10 feet deep. And secondly, because it's got a pretty, verti- pretty big vertical drop, the, the bank has been worn away. So it's, a, it's not something that you were wading out into. It's like it's, it's a drop-off. And then the third thing, and so what I'm telling you sort of doesn't matter because the third thing is at this moment, the Jordan River is 50 times its average width. It's a mile across and uh, it's at flood stage. And today we know that at flood stage, the, the river flows at about 40 miles an hour. And not only that, but, but the, the plains around the Jordan River are dense with, with bushes, which means you're walking through a jungle that's now got raging water over it. It's just, it's a particularly difficult uh, river to cross. But they've been waiting for 40 years 
to cross this river and to get into the promised land. And here they are. They've got to be thinking, we are so close. And yet we now face this uncrossable barrier. Which is why for three days, they don't break camp. They stay right where they're at. You can probably smell the fear and confusion. And they're wondering, what are we going to do? Here on the bank, we're now vulnerable. If somebody wants to attack us, what are we going to do? We believe God is with us. We believe that with God we can do anything, but we can't do this. And so, as I said, this is the Jordan River serves as a geographical barrier, and it serves as a metaphor for lots of other barriers, some of which perhaps you are facing right now. Perhaps you are facing your own Jordan River. Perhaps you feel completely uh, stalled and stuck, and you don't see any way forward. You know that God can... God can turn no way into a highway. You know that with God, everything is possible. You know all these things, but you don't see a way forward at this particular moment. So what happens in Joshua 3? Well, after three days, a cry goes out, and everyone is told that they are to get ready. And this means in particular that they are to break camp and to be ready to move. And it means also they are told that they are to consecrate themselves. So the Hebrew word that's used here means prepare, dedicate, uh, pray, repent, right? So uh, I've shared years ago that that, uh, we were crossing back a long time ago. We had some friends. We had a sailboat. And I was crossing Lake Michigan with two of my boys uh, in this sailboat. And uh, it was very quiet. It was very early in the morning. We'd gotten up at four in the morning to set across from the Michigan side to the, to the Illinois side. And the weather report had said <clears throat> 15% chance uh, of scattered showers. So we got out into the lake. <clears throat> There's no wind, so we're motoring. My boys have both gone uh, to gone to sleep. And I am reading while the boat's just sort of motoring uh, along. And all of a sudden, my papers get ruffled. And I look up, and I'm watching the wind gauge. And we go from no wind to suddenly 20 miles an hour wind. And then I watch it go to 25 miles. And then I watch it gust up to like 35 miles. And just just so you know, uh, I, I don't sail anymore, but I didn't like to sail in anything over 15 miles an hour. So I'm suddenly, it's, it's, a, it's a three alarm fire. I look up, I see this black wall of clouds coming at us and I can see white caps coming. And so I, I immediately uh, yelled at the boys. I go, get up, get up, you know, put on your life vest. And I said, and if you have any unconfessed sin in your life, I would suggest you confess it right now because this could be uh, really dicey. So I didn't say to them, consecrate yourselves, but that's sort of what I said. Uh, There's to be no sin in the camp. You are to be prepared for whatever is going to come. So Joshua is saying to the people, we're going to cross this uncrossable river. The Lord has told us to do it. We're going to do it. So the next thing that we read about is that the priests, so there's there's four priests that are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. 
This is the box that held uh, the Ten Commandments, the, you know, the, the stone tablets that Moses had. It, it contains a, a, a jar of manna from heaven as a reminder of his provision. It contains Aaron's rod, which is the stick that sprouted, sort of came back to life. Uh, so uh, this, is the, this is the lost ark that, that uh, uh, Harrison Ford was looking for in Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? This is the, this is the presence of God. Uh, and there's special, uh, a special arrangement for how the priest would carry it. By the way, in light of last week when I talked about Jesus being the true and better, you know, he's the true and better Abraham, the true and better Adam, the true and better Jacob, the true and better Isaac, the true and better all those things. Jesus is the true and better Ark of the Covenant, right? He is the presence of God. He is the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments. He is not just manna. He's the bread of life. He's not just a stick that comes back to life. He is a person that, that is going to be resurrected from the dead. This, again, is another, another big neon sign that's pointing ahead to Jesus. So Jesus is the Ark of the Covenant. But uh, in this case, the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God, and God is going to go first. And so the priests, they've, they've got these poles, and they, put, they, they go through these rings. So you get the box, and then there's poles. And so each one is taking a pole, and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. There's four priests. And the instructions are very specific in, in Joshua 3, as you heard, that the people are to stay way back, half mile back which puts them up on a bank, which means they're all going to be able to watch. And the priests, with the presence of God, with God, are going to go first. So, um, the big moment comes. And just remember, so if you're a priest and you can't swim and you come to the, this raging river, you're, you're, you're stepping. You can't see anything. You're stepping into this and uh, it is a moment of sink or swim. This is a, this is a moment about God is going to come through or not. This is a moment of faith. Now, there's a couple other things I want to be sure you know uh, about this. First of all, as I've suggested, everyone is watching. The people are a half mile back, but this is very public. So, so Joshua's got a lot riding on this, right? If this doesn't work, his new uh, tenure as the new Moses is probably not going to last very long. Secondly, the ask that God is making here is not unlike many other asks that we are going to find throughout Scripture. So in John 14, for instance, Jesus turns to the crowds that are following him. The crowds have, have, have swelled at this point. And he says, if anyone comes after me and they do not uh, hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their own cross, right, their own death, in a sense, and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, this is hyperbole. This is a manner of speaking that was common in the Jewish culture at this time. Uh, so we're not called upon to hate our parents or our, our spouse or our children. We're called to love. We're called to, to serve. We're, we're, but, but, the, but the contrast is what's being pointed out here. Our passion for God, our desire to serve God, our willingness to be faithful to God ought to eclipse all the other relationships that we have. 
and and this is hardly the only time. We're going to be in the book of Revelation, as I said, in the fall. And there's this famous passage where uh, Jesus, speaking from heaven to the church in Laodicea, I have this against you, right? You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. I want to spit you out of my mouth. Don't go halfway. Don't be tepid. Don't be, don't be non-committal in your relationship to God. Jesus is not willing to be your co-pilot. Jesus is not willing for you to make a casual commitment. He doesn't do second. We're going to see this again next week. He offers to be our Savior and Lord, but he doesn't simply offer to be our Savior and not our Lord. Right? There is a call here to go all in. The third thing that I'd like you to understand before we, we see how this ends is that in the spiritual life, in our spiritual life, there are a number of these jump-in moments. Do or die, turn left, turn right, all in or not. There's a number of these moments. But it's not the only way our relationship with God unfolds. As a matter of fact, I would suggest <clears throat> that a whole lot of the Christian life is a long, slow pull. <laughs> it, it is, it's, a, uh, it's a long obedience in the same direction. In some ways, perhaps it's even less about these big moments than it is about a disciplined, tenacious, consistent journey with God. Um, in the online devotions this week, uh, we're in Hebrews 2, and there's a passage in Hebrews 2 where where the writer says, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And I, I said, look, the word neglect, I think, is, is a word to think about. It doesn't, doesn't suggest uh, uh, an absolute turn and going the other direction. It's not, a, it's not a radical running away. Neglect suggests we drift, we fade. There's a lack of intensity that we bring to our relationship with Christ. And so um, I want to say that the Christian life is not simply about big moments, and in many ways it's about the uninspired moments. It's about doing the right thing when no one's watching. It's about that long, slow, obedient pull. But there are these big moments, and we want to be certain we get them right. So there's more I could say about this moment, and I should also just mention uh, Joshua, again, is a Christ figure. Joshua's a good guy. He's the one that has sort of already declared. Uh, he says, you know, decide for yourself what you're going to do. As for me and my house, right, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua is a model for us in all of this. But let me, let me go to what happens. So the priests are standing there on the bank, right? They can't swim. It's a raging one-mile uh, tumultuous river that they're supposed to cross. God has told them to do it. And they have to decide if they're going to take this risk or not. And they step in. And it works. Joshua gives the order. The priests step into the Jordan. And then they stop, as they had been instructed. And we're told that the water parts. So Joshua, uh, chapter, um, Joshua chapter 13 uh, chapter 3, excuse me, verse 15. As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. 
It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of uh, Zaranthon, while the water flowing down to the sea uh, of the Arbath, that is, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So they stepped in and God acted. Faith honors God. God honors faith. They stepped in and God acted. I wish it was always that definitive and that clear, uh, but I do believe God is for us. God honors faith. God, when we're humble and we're seeking zealously to do the right thing and we're listening, the events may get harder, but in fact, God is giving us what we pray for or what we would pray for if we understood things as clearly as he does. So the passage um, that says that they stepped in, uh, immediately the water's receding, it's piling up is the, is the phrase. And so the roaring of the river <laughs> that had been going by, again, flood stage river, 40 mile per hour, per hour, 40 mile per hour current, the roaring of the river gives way to the roaring of two million people that are going to run across. So remember, this isn't like, you know, 30 people in a single file line. This is two million people, and the, and the path that they're given is broad. I mean, the, the river backs up 20 miles upstream and all the way to the Dead Sea. They've got all this, this room to cross over. And uh, it's a huge miracle. There's, a, there's actually a song written about this, a, a psalm song written about this. Psalm 114.3 reads, the sea looked and fled. <laughs> the Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. Why was it, sea, that you fled? Jordan, why did you turn your back? Mountains that you skipped like rams. Hills like lambs. Here's the answer. Why did all these things happen? Why did the waters flee? Tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. And so then they're told that they're to mark this day. Uh, they're to build an altar. The text says, uh, when all the people had passed over Jordan, Joshua commanded one man from each of the 12 tribes to get a rock from the middle of the Jordan and build a memorial on the Canaan side. So they actually are going to be told to build two altars, if you read through the rest of the chapter. So they're going to build uh, an altar on the on the now, the west side of the Jordan, uh, in the promised land, they're going to they're gonna put these 12 stones together, and this is going to be a reminder, and it's going to be a reminder to future generations that God had delivered them. They're also to, to take 12 stones and to pile them in the middle of the river, which, of course, is going to flow again, and no one's going to be able to see it except God will be able to see it. And there's this idea that, that there's, a, there's an altar reminding uh, the people of God's faithfulness, and there's a, there's a monument reminding God of the people's faithfulness. So, um, like, I have um, a collection of rocks that uh, some, I have rocks from my uncle, but I have rocks that I picked up at various places. So I have a couple rocks that I got from mountains that I climbed long ago, one of them from the lip of a volcano. It's sort of uh, lava-like. Uh, I got a stone that I picked up from uh, Mars Hill when I was 
uh, in Greece where Paul uh, preached um, and, and challenged the people in Mars Hill. I have a lot of rocks. I have to confess, I've, I collected them for a while, never bothering to write down what they looked like. So I've completely lost track except for this piece of lava. But um, look, here's the deal. Um, we have rocks. If you're attending a Christ Church campus, we will have rocks for you. If you're watching online, you might have to go out and get your own rock. But maybe today is a day that you want uh, some reminder of, of God moving in your life. Now, maybe it's not going to be a rock. Maybe there's a different way that you can decide that you're going to go all in. And maybe you're going to mark this by saying, you know what? I'm at the, I'm at the bank of the Jordan, and I'm deciding I'm going to take the next step. And for you, that means I'm going to get baptized. So you can sign up to, to be baptized. Maybe for you that means I'm going to get into a small group. Okay, You can sign up to get into a small group. I, I'm going to take steps to, to get involved serving. The, the website's got all kinds of opportunities for you to do that. Uh, we have options for you to step into the Jordan River. And I want to encourage you. Right There, there are moments. And I'm, I'm doing my best to set this up as a moment to say, okay, in or out, left or right, are you, are you, are you going to move forward? Because uh, we have to simply declare. Now, as we close, let me let you in on two little secrets. The first one is we generally regret not acting more than acting and getting it wrong. Okay? Just psychological studies, when people look back, psychologists generally tell us Psychologists tell us that generally when people look back over their lives, they regret the things they didn't do, not the things that they did do. Secondly, I want to be certain that you understand you have choices. It may not feel like you've got lots of choices right now. And indeed, some of the things that are true in your life, good or bad, uh, we don't control. I, I am, um, and, and Joshua will make this point later in the book of Joshua. Joshua, God will say to them, I'm giving you things you didn't earn, you didn't deserve. You're going into a land that's already been established. There's already, there's already uh, homes to live in. There's already villages that have been established. I'm giving you all this stuff. They didn't do anything for that. I look at my own life and say, I had no control on being born in the United States as opposed to being born in North Korea, right? I mean, I've, I've got a lot of blessings I have zero, zero influence on. But there's a lot of things that we do control. And you do control your relationship with God. You get to decide if you're going to act. You get to decide if you're going to put your weight down. You get to decide if you're going to cross the Jordan. And I want to encourage you to go all in. Cross the Jordan. You can stay on the banks. That doesn't work. You can give in to fear. That's a bad plan. Take a step. Let me pray. Father, I, I want to pray that um, as individuals, as families, as small groups, as a church, I want to pray that we would see the choices before us more clearly than we generally do. And that we would be uh, soft-hearted to your spirit to guide and direct. I want to pray for those that are stuck and stalled in various ways. Lord God, Spirit of God, have mercy. 
Help people move forward. Help us to do the small things that we can do so that you can do what we cannot. I pray that for all of us. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.